It's time for conversations about our food and how it's grown on Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. A few years ago, I had a chance to have a podcast with my guest today, and it was back before goats had another uh, another thing to think about. Uh, you know, lately we've been talking about G-O-A-T as being the greatest of all time, and we talked about goats being goats, which may have been the greatest of all time before it was fashionable. Aaron Steele helped dig me out of that. That probably wasn't the best example, but I, I always I think of you when I hear te- people talking about Tom Brady and <laughs> being the greatest of all time and the goats. And I think, man, we did a podcast about about goats um, before that became quite as popular as it has been in the last couple of years. So, are th- are these critters you're running the greatest of all time? Yeah. In a lot of ways, they are, Roger, and I just have to say that's the first and probably only time I've been mentioned in the same breath as Tom Brady, and I'll take it. Uh, just... You know what? You know, his career is young. I think you can still get him into goats. As a, <laughs> as, a, as a matter of fact, I bumped into Tom Brady, and it was over at the Seascape Resort in Aptos, and he was there uh, when he was forced to take some time off from football for deflating footballs or something like that. And he was there with his wife. And it so happened, it was about the same time the goats were all over the hillsides over there. That people, So, I mean, that's the only connection I've got with um, a goat and the goats. And um, I, I want to warn the our listeners that we're not going to go on with this. <laughs> that's, if you've tuned in just to hear us talk about Tom Brady, it's over with. And now we're going to talk about goats. But, you know, one of the things I remember uh, from our conversation that you kind of had a, a surprising start in this. If I'm not mistaken, you you live in Iowa and you ha- ended up and you had kids that you were kind of going to have them help you with chores. And you got a few goats to clean up some of the some of the land out behind your place. And. And then it kind of evolved into an actual business. And we're going to talk about that evolution because now I see it's it just keeps growing and growing and growing. So help me with that. Did I did I get any of that right? That uh, that you, sure, had, you yeah. had goats and kids you got to keep busy. That's right. Yep, Roger, you've got a good memory. So um, I didn't. I did not grow up in a fa- on a farm. I was I like to say a generation removed from the family farm, but I spent some uh some of my childhood days visiting my aunt and uncle and grandma and grandpa on the family farm and um absolutely loved it loved helping with chores and feeding bottle calves and throwing bales of hay around and that sort of thing and um but having grown up a city kid i don't know how i came to be so pragmatic so young uh but i looked at the state of agriculture and it never even occurred to me to think that i could be a farmer or that I can be engaged in agriculture in any way, you know, to, to operate a farm on Iowa farmlands, you, you got to pretty much inherit the thing um, or, you know, be in line in the family farm to take it over. So um, even though I loved that as a kid, it never crossed my mind that I would be a farmer. Then years and years later, um, 
we, my wife and I, who did grow up on a family farm in Iowa, we just moved out to a, a little acreage um, northeast of Ames, Iowa, and um, started dabbling in things to make it feel more like a farm, even though we knew that in terms of Iowa farms, you know, it never was going to be much of a farm. Um, we had three young sons at the time who needed some chores to do during the summer. And so we looked around and, um, well, what can we do? Let's put some livestock out here. This is too big for us to mow. You know, it's not big enough to be of any interest to a farmer, really, in terms of leasing the extra land from us. Um, and we got goats. Uh, truth be told, if if I had known about hair sheep way back then that I could get sheep and not have to shear them, uh, this that's where the story would end, probably. But instead, we ended up with meat goats. Um put them to work on just some weedy patches on our own property. And we're just amazed at what they could do. Um, really loved the goats as livestock. Um, and we could see that the market for meat goats was really strong and improving all the time. And so we started to just kind of scheme ways that we could worm our way into agriculture beyond just a hobby. Um, and, we started looking around at some of these uh, goat grazing businesses, many of which were just in their infancy. They popped up across the country here and there. Um, and at the same time thought, boy, that really kind of fits our conservation ethic. And that, that is a way that we could envision approaching agriculture in an, in an unconventional way that gives us kind of a back door to farming here in Iowa. So um, we got our first goats about a decade ago, and uh, shortly after that, started our business, Goats on the Go, using goats for weed and brush control for our customers, and uh, we've grown quite a bit since then. Yeah, well, it's it's so exciting, and I want to go back to a couple of things you said. First of all, it's almost impossible to get into farming unless you inherit the farm. Or unless you're doing some being really, really creative, like a grazing grazing programs, because when you start looking at that resource that a ruminant animal can convert, then it kind of opens up a whole different frontier. And of course, we've we've talked to a number of people that find different different ways to get their their foot in the water, um, and and it's just uh, it's an it's a really interesting time. Again, if you're not going to inherit a farm. The scale that it takes for a typical corn, soybeans, or even a hog operations uh, are are pretty big, and it's something that's out of reach for for a lot of people. But if you can be creative and started with that creative, like you did, look out the backyard and, and see this grass and weeds and brush, and saying, "Well, gee, how can we how can we work on that?" And uh, you arrive at these ruminant animals. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, you hit on something really important, which is goats, even outside of the commercial service we provide, goats open up all sorts of land to grazing um, that takes advantage of an underutilized resource and in terms of in, in terms of weeds and brush and forested areas um, that exist in my part of Iowa, mostly just in river and creek valleys, and the rest is relatively flat row crop land. Uh, so there's this resource out there that, you know, nobody was taking advantage of. And, um, you know, that gave us a real opportunity and I think continues to give lots of farmers an opportunity who will put the full benefits of goats to work in their operation. It, it can even open up, you know, um, 
pastures that neighbors have that are, you know, where brush is encroaching and it's limiting their ability to raise cattle or produce enough forage for cattle. And it, it opens up all sorts of possibilities. Um, and, and one of those big possibilities is this using goats for a commercial service in parallel with a meat goat operation. And I, I don't know that if I had actually like continued in the family farm, you know, just kind of walked the normal path into operating a, a conventional farm in Iowa, that that would have ever occurred to me. And I don't think it occurs to most farmers to take what they have to offer and not just offer it into the commodity market or even to direct marketing to consumers, but also turn it into a commercial service. And, you know, what we found is that the non-farming public is really hungry for little tastes of the farm. And um, our service using goats for weed and brush control, you know, helps them with their vegetation problems, but also gives them a little bit of that, a little taste of the farm, a little taste of local foods, a little education for their kids um, about how farming works and livestock production works. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm certainly kind of interested, too, in keeping this on uh, a parallel track a little bit because you've got a sheep element as well. And you mentioned that had hair sheep been more available or you've been more aware of it, you might have been utilizing sheep a little bit more. As I understand it, one of the differences is that uh, sheep are a little bit more fussy than goats. Um, Goats seem to eat things that sheep might not have as their first choice. And the other is that somebody's told me before that goats graze up. That they'll they'll uh, be hit, lifting their heads up and eating weeds and vines and on their hind legs and even climbing the trees somehow um, to be eating up where sheep kind of keep their heads down and they're moving. So I'm, I'm wondering how often you have to do some balancing depending on the on the properties that you're looking at. That now oh, this is this is sheep property or this is goat property or some combination. Right. Yeah, don't let anybody tell you that goats don't eat grass or that goats don't like grass. But, you know, if given lots of choices, um, goats will kind of start looking for their meals at eye level and up as opposed to down to the ground. And the majority of their diet will be made up of woody, brushy species and tall broadleaf weeds, tall broadleaf plants and forbs. Um, so, But we do run across projects here and there that they have more of that grassy herbaceous vegetation on them and uh, adding sheep certainly speeds those projects along. Um, so we will kind of balance out the goats and sheep depending on the demands of the project. Not bad idea to point out that part of the trade-offs here too, that if you're going to try to keep it under control, keep that brush under control, not getting all carried away, uh, your options are, you know, carbon fuels that you're, you know, you got some motors, you're out there, you're running mowers and so forth, and you have equipment and the gasoline that goes into it, um, or something like Roundup that, you know, sprays you could put on, or you could do the natural. So I think it's it's a, a cell that makes uh, makes a point to a lot of people that think, say, oh, well, that's interesting. Well, let's let's go back now and and talk about the business that has emerged from all of these things that you recognized and getting your feet wet into this whole, this whole area. So what is, what is your core business right now for, for your organization? Right. So our business has evolved to where um, 
my core business is not so much actually putting goats out on customers' properties. We do have somebody doing that for us locally here in central Iowa. Uh, But we started the business originally in 2012. We went out and made all the mistakes we could possibly make and corrected them. There weren't a lot of well-established business models at that time. We just gathered, soaked up expertise and soaked up lessons as best we could. And then we had a lot of folks calling us looking for advice on how to start their own targeted grazing, commercial targeted grazing companies. And so in 2016, we launched um, what we call an affiliate network. It's a brand network of independently owned goat grazing. And well, we call them goat grazing businesses, but they might include sheep as well. Uh, targeted grazing businesses all across the country. So from the outside, it looks a little bit like a franchise. It's not technically a franchise, but um, we have right around 60 affiliates right now in half the states in the U.S., um, all providing a local goat grazing service under the Goats on the Go brand. So that has begun to consume almost all of my time. Um, The family that we started the business with originally in 2012 Um, They actually do the operating on the ground here in central Iowa while my family manages the brand and the brand network and the training of new affiliates. Um, And we still farm together and raise livestock on the side with that family. Well, explain that a little bit, if you would. Is there there some sort of of fee of somebody's affiliated with you that you're providing counseling and, and brand identity and leads and that sort of thing? Right. Yep. So uh, our affiliates pay a flat annual fee. In some ways, it's almost like a membership club and they pay the club fee in order to access all of the club benefits. It's just a good way to visualize it. And so um, those benefits include being able to to use our brand and trademarks in the promotion of their own business. They get a presence on our national website. So all of our affiliates across the country share a website and each one gets their own profile page through which customers can contact them. Um, they get access to proprietary resources that we've developed over the years. And I think importantly, get access to our training. As I mentioned, I think we made every mistake in the book and uh, corrected almost all of them really effectively. And so what we offer our affiliates is just the opportunity to fast forward their business by two years at least and not spin their wheels making those same mistakes we made in reinventing the wheel. So if we take a typical operation, so this this business, and they've got the idea, they like what they're doing, they may be getting it started, they have to go purchase some goats and some sheep and so forth. How does it operate? So could you just paint a picture for us for some somebody that has one of these businesses? What does that what does that look like? How many is it a full time person working on it, or you know, to help us understand that? Yeah. So as I mentioned, we have affiliates all over the country. Um, they're in different climates and different terrains, and serving different markets and different customers. So they're all a little bit different, and they have the freedom to operate as they see fit. But I would say the the vast majority of our affiliates are. Their wheelhouse is kind of suburban style small projects. Um, so, you know, less of, than an acre up to maybe five acres, maybe stretching to 10 acres in size. And they're typically running uh, 30 to 50 animals, let's say, to provide that service. 
Um, now we do have affiliates who have the capacity to do really large projects and run several animals, several hundred animals at once working for, you know, like, um, state departments of conservation and the U S fish and wildlife service and that sort of thing. Um, but uh, the majority of our affiliates are kind of in that, that small project wheelhouse. Uh, many of them are doing this as just a second layer of revenue on their small farm, um, or as a second source of revenue for the family, like a second salary for the family. Uh, but we do have markets where the affiliate is able to, you know, replace their full-time job just by doing goat grazing. Um, the demand has to be there, obviously, and then you have to match that demand with the capacity. But it is it is possible, and we are seeing some really strong markets in the U.S. right now. You know, whenever I fly over the country, which I don't do often anymore, but I look down there and I just see lots of space that really can't be utilized for anything but sheep and goats. And you could argue cattle, uh, but actually, uh, certainly, I think the goats go some places and sheep do some places that not necessarily is best for cattle, but ruminant animals. So to one extent, there's still a lot of opportunity. But then when you start getting into these communities and you look at, at all of the resources available there, the parks and the streams and the lakes and the rivers and air areas, but you add to that now this creation of solar farms. Uh, there are so many acres. And when, you know, I see how many there are out there already. And it seems like it, it's just beginning that is going to continue to explode all across, all across the country. Are you seeing many of your, their sheep or goat up, you know, opportunities with these, these solar farms that are deciding they're open to grazing? Yeah, our affiliates are just beginning to enter that market. Um, you know, we're a distributed network so across the country. So each of our affiliates has their own local territory that they serve. So they kind of have to be fortunate enough to have that solar farm pop up in their local territory. And then they're able to, to serve that. But we're really excited about the potential. We think that there's um, a lot to be optimistic about there. And our affiliates... You know, they're already excellent at managing livestock in a mobile, portable way. And they're excellent at doing mob grazing and, and close monitoring of the landscape as they graze. And they're really used to doing this all in the public eye and making their customers look really good. And all of those skills just apply directly to the solar, the solar grazing industry, if you will. It's a young but quickly growing industry. Um, based on the industry data that I can pull together, I figure that uh, right now, only about 2% of the, or less of the acres under solar panels right now are being managed with grazing. Um, and at the rate that solar farms are expanding right now, I think we're gonna, we're, we're gonna be putting sheep in all sorts of solar farms all over the place and probably not able to keep up with that 2% share of that market. So I, I do think it's really promising. I think that the practice is, is excellent. It's great for the landscape. It's great for the soil. And it's a win-win for the solar company and for the solar grazer. So we're Again, we're just getting our toe in the water of that and starting to provide some really excellent solar grazing training for our affiliates, but we see that as being a big part of our business in the future. 
maybe isn't a big concern, but I, again, I think about those goats getting up on their hind legs uh, unless they're building these <laughs> solar panels. Uh, they probably want to be sure they don't have any little wires dangling around that uh, and yeah. decide to bite off. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because uh, we actually have uh, developed a second brand, Sheep on the Go. We talked about some of those projects where adding more sheep is helpful. And solar grazing is um, a nearly 100% sheep type of operation. So goats have already kind of developed a bad reputation for climbing on solar panels and chewing on cables. And so sheep seem to be the appropriate tool for solar sites. So if I were going to call you up right now and say, this is really interesting and I want to get something going um, that's to supplement my income and to start off with, I'm going to get some goats or I'm going to get some sheep and I've got a place to to keep a double handful or so to get started. What do you have to go through with somebody that, and I imagine you get calls like this fairly frequently, or now your affiliates are getting getting calls like this as, as well. So how do you help them say, okay, if you're just right now thinking it sounds like a good idea, but you want to actually do it, what do you tell them? Yeah, from the customer's perspective, somebody who's actually thinking about hiring a, a goat grazing service to help manage their land? No, I'm thinking about somebody that wants to provide that service. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, we do talk to those folks all the time, and we're always inviting new uh, affiliates on board because we've got lots of space um, across the U.S. to put out more goats on the goat territories. I think some of the key things that we talk to them about is, you know, what is your level of experience with goats? Um, And sometimes we'll talk to somebody who says, I don't have any experience with goats, but I'm going to buy goats next week. And the week after, I want to start a goat grazing business with those. And we, we tend to kind of pull the reins in on those folks and say, look, that's a lot. Like goats are challenging animals and they have their own learning curve. And then adding a, a starting a small business on top of that, like that's a lot all at once. So um, we, we want to know about those folks' uh, experience with other livestock, but especially goats. Um, but if we feel like, you know, they're properly motivated and they have the um, the experience that that they're going to need, or at least they're willing to go at it at the pace that will allow them to be successful. Um, then we're going to just, you know, bring them up to speed on on the all the benefits of being a goats on the go affiliate, and eventually have them sign an agreement with us and attend our training. Our uh, and we think it's the best training in the country for commercial targeted grazing. Uh, we hold um, at least one of those every spring and. We bring in folks from all across the country with different levels of experience. Some are just starting their goat grazing business. Some have been doing it for five, six years. So we get this fantastic mix of learning going on at that training. So, um, and, and coming out of that training in the spring, our affiliates are, you know, have a ton of momentum and they're really well equipped to launch their business. Now they're they're going to put a lot of hard work into it, developing it on their own. It is an in, independently owned business, um, but we will have equipped them to be to be successful um, and to go out and and take the service to their neighboring communities. Um, so it's actually pretty straightforward. You know, there's some equipment that they would need to buy. We use a lot of portable electric fencing. Um, and solar fence energizers, fence chargers. Um, and of course there's, 
the equipment that actually most farms already have, you know, a, um, a livestock trailer and a truck to tow it with. Um, so there is some kind of ga- spending of money and gathering of equipment to, to prepare to launch the business. But uh, as far as the training and, and promotional side of it and getting our affiliates to understand who our customers are and how to reach those folks, uh, we take care of that early in the spring at our annual training. What, what about predators? Do they need to have a you know a dog or a gun or something else <laughs> yeah sometimes all three um we this portable electric fencing that we use we we believe does a really nice job of um, temporarily controlling predators for us um it's an electric netting and so it's really hard for um a wild predator to approach that and not get a jolt um and we're never at one site for very long we're we're constantly moving we put lots of goats on to um, take care of the vegetation problem as quickly as possible and then we get out so with natural predators you know it it's not like they're looking looking for a meal on day one as soon as a goat arrives you know they're going to take a little while scope things out scheme a little and try to get and, and try to get bold enough to do something about this this new prey that landed in their area and by that time we're typically moving on to the next project or the next part of a property um dogs are interesting i i love dogs and i've got livestock guardian dogs myself um, on the types of small projects that w- most of our affiliates do um they're they typically have the potential to create more complications than solve problems. So uh, unless we're on a really large project for a very long time and a very predator rich area, we'll usually leave the livestock guardian dogs at home. You know, one thing that occurs to me is that almost anywhere you go now, they have leash laws, especially when you're in these urban areas. And so there doesn't seem like there are dogs just running loose like there was at one time because there there's more kind of control the dogs and keep them again, keep them on a leash if possible. I hope that that is the case in more and more places across the country, because that's probably the predator we are most concerned about is just domestic dogs that are out of control or stray dogs, you know, because they don't quite approach that electric fence with the same caution that a coyote would. Um, So we're, we're actually a little more nervous about the Labrador down the street than we are the coyote or the bobcat. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's an issue. Now, another thing, when the when the goats or the sheep have done their job and and it's it's time to harvest those goats or sheep, how how do they deal with that? Because I, as hopefully you're ending up having a, a market perhaps to have this meat uh, sold or used somehow. Uh, how does that happen? Yeah. So we, I mean, we as we already talked about. We here in Ames on our farm, we started this because we wanted to be engaged in agriculture and we wanted to be engaged in producing really great food for people. So for us, that means we're a meat goat operation and a targeted grazing operation. We do have affiliates who aren't interested in that, in the agricultural side of things so much, and they may never sell their goats for meat. That's okay. You know, we, our affiliates can make all their own decisions about that, but we're really open about the, uh, the, uh, the concept that goats on the go as a brand is um, we're just not holding back when it comes to what we're trying to do um, with meat. And we'll tell anybody who asks about all the benefits of goat meat 
in general, but then put through our system, we think it's the most sustainable meat on earth. I mean, our goats are producing environmental good, um, conservation good their entire lives. They don't just benefit humans on the day they go to slaughter. They are working for us all the time, offsetting the use of chemicals and petroleum um, and machinery and erosion, reducing erosion all through their lives, not just that final day of their lives. Um, so there's a lot of benefit to be gained there. So we're, we're pretty open about that. Our system is, as far as the actual production of the meat goats, is not unlike most goat farms, sheep or goat farms. You know, we raise um, the offspring to a, whatever market weight and age we're shooting for, and we take them to market and we'll occasionally sell direct to consumer as well. Um, there, we do have to make some adjustments though to fit into our targeted grazing schedule. Things have to. We learned early on that actually, truth be told, the goat grazing operation is going to deliver more revenue to us than the meat goats themselves. So we thought we would be bending the targeted grazing business to fit our, our goat production system. And it turns out to be the other way around. We do have to adjust our goat produ production system to fit the targeted grazing business. So that does impact when our kidding is done and when we take animals to market, sometimes it affects the weight we take to goats to market. But, um, you know, it's interesting. You, you mentioned all the environmental impacts that are very positive and the role that, that the grazing, the sheep and goats can and have, but they are ruminants. And, and fortunately they're, they're not being criticized like cows. There are people that, um, uh, I think are unfairly picking on cows and saying that we need to stop eating stop eating meat stop eating beef and and so forth and that's another podcast and we've talked about it many times and other guests i've had but you know it seems like goats and sheep are ruminant animals too and they're under the under the radar screen they don't come up as people that are worried about their burping and contributing to the little bit of methane that they might be putting out into the atmosphere so maybe i shouldn't be mentioning it <laughs> Well, you know, you, you and I and um, some other environmental activists could debate all day long about how long-lived methane is in the atmosphere and how much methane it, these animals produce and how much methane historically the bison and elk and antelope herds in North America produced. Right. We could talk all about that, but the shortcut for me is just that I'm producing amazing meat using an animal that is delivering multiple benefits to our culture and to our society all along the way, ending with some really excellent meat that is in high demand. And um, harvesting renewable resource of, of these, uh, these grasses and, and the other products that, that otherwise aren't getting utilized too. Yep. And, you know, sequestering carbon in the ground, just the simple act of their well-managed grazing. So um, lots of benefits to offset any, critiques of raising ruminant livestock when it comes to goats i want to go back to the the processing end of it though that you do end up with meat and so people are going to have to uh either if they're harvesting them themselves or they've got to find a locker plant or processing plant of some sort and we've been short of those all over the country but there's been some programs lately that, that are trying to help more and more local processing as those are getting on board, do you find that they're 
they're open to working with sheep and goats because there's many of these walker plants, I think, don't have much experience with sheep and goats. They know what they're doing with cattle. Yeah, that has been a challenge for us. Um, we really love our processor nearby here, but they recently stopped taking goats. It's just, you know, it kind of interferes with the process of of uh, cattle and hogs going through their system. And so um, they, they view it as a bit of an inefficiency. And many people delivering goats to these local processors are bringing one or two or three at a time, not you know, 15 to do in a day. And so that, that has been a challenge for us. Um, you know, as we've kind of started to come down off the COVID hill here, I, I hope that we're going to see some more opportunities open up for processing sheep and goats as there's less, of, the backlog is relieved for uh, folks wanting to fill their freezers with beef and pork. So I hope that opportunity opens up um, in the near future, but you know, I think it's going to continue to be a challenge for us. Um, many, many of the folks who buy directly off our farm, and we don't do a lot of off-farm sales, but many of them want to do their own slaughter anyway. It's just culturally important to them um, that they handle the process from the live animal all the way to, you know, how they eat it at home. So. We don't find that most of our off-the-farm buyers really want us to deliver goats and sheep to a livestock processor for them anyway. You know, one of the things I find interesting, if you look at the large meat packing plants across the country, uh, more and more they are populated, the workforce are populated by immigrants that have come in from, from other countries. And if you look at the diversity, and I've I've seen some of the reports in Iowa, there are communities that end up having like 20 different languages spoken in um, a rural community. And it's really different than the image many people have. Many of those cultures have brought with them a taste for sheep and goats that wasn't natural here. So in a way that I think some people wouldn't have seen coming, it's kind of like there are more and more people that make up our communities anymore that have brought with them, again, not, um, you know, a more developed taste for goat meat than what has been historically here in the States. That's just my guess. Do you, you buy that? Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, still the, the biggest driver for demand of goats and increasingly lamb in, in the U.S. does still seem to be, um, you know, the diversifying of our population, um, immigrants and subsequent generations of immigrants to the United States. It, that that does seem to be where most of the demand is coming from. Absolutely can't deny that. Um, you know, I do think that there's more and more interest. And I, and I saw this develop more over COVID to more interest in lamb and goat for foodie types, you know, home cooks, home chefs. Um and you're seeing it pop up more and more in high-end restaurants as well. But I think that that's still, that's still a small fraction of where the demand is coming from. You know, we need to remind people that they can see the things that you're involved with on your, on your website. And I want to, why don't we mention it right now? Because you've talked about all the range of your programs. I'm sure we're creating some curiosity with some people listening today. But um, tell them where they find you online. Yeah, thanks, Roger. Um, you can find us at goatsonthego.com. 
Um, you'll find information about sheep on the go and our solar grazing there as well. So goatsonthego.com. Um, we also have a kind of a, a side project at farmdogpodcast.com. It's a podcast about uh, the working dogs of farms and ranches and homesteads. So we talk about livestock guardian dogs and herding dogs and even some hunting dog stuff and, um, you know, pest control on the farm and ranch with dogs. So that's just kind of been a labor of love. You know, when I looked at your website too, you also um, mentioned Barnyard Discoveries. Uh, kind of explain what that is and how that connects. Yeah. So the small world connection here. So um, we have a contract, basically a consulting contract with a really cool company named Barnyard Discoveries based in um, Peoria, Illinois. You can find them at barnyarddiscoveries.com. Barnyard Discoveries is a mobile farm exhibit that is building out a an affiliate network all across the country, very similar to uh, ours here at Goats on the Go. And so we do have a partnership with Barnyard Discoveries to kind of help them out with some of that structure and promotion. And um, so I, I hope to see Barnyard Discoveries all over the country. I think I didn't do a very good job of explaining what it is. It's a mobile farmyard or mobile barnyard, um, a mobile farm education exhibit that goes to community events and schools and uh, um, all sorts of places to bring education about the farm to the public. So very cool company and of note, um, it is owned and was founded by and owned by your brother, Roger. That, Ron that's Lawson. right. That's right. I was getting ready to figure out I need to make some full disclosure that my brother, Ron, uh, had this inspiration and he's just done a great job with it. And I've seen it. Uh, they brought it out to schools and other events and and uh, people just love it. And it's a chance to connect with uh, with Barnyard see the animals and he's got information too about agriculture uh, today more broadly but it's 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 great to see it offered and great to see that there's people that are still interested in what's happened what happens at a farm absolutely it's a it's a really fascinating business and um what what it shows me is just again what the demand is what the hunger is for agriculture among the non-farming public uh Ron's success there in Peoria, Illinois. Peoria, Illinois. You know, it's not like there's any shortage of agriculture in Peoria, Illinois, but yet there is like this separation between the agricultural world and the rural, the urban and suburban world. Um, even in a place like Peoria, or even in a place like Ames, Iowa, that that has the public wanting more, wanting to learn more about the farm and about agriculture. So it's a really cool business and. A business opportunity that other folks could get involved in with Ron as well. Well, I think across the whole Corn Belt and probably in other areas of agriculture, though, too, there has been a big change. There used to be a time that you drive out into the country and every quarter mile there would be a farmstead and they would have hogs and they would have a cow herd and they may still have some chickens as well. And uh, and now, certainly in hog operations, some of these counties, even across Iowa and Illinois, may only have two or three in the entire county where they used to have two or three on a mile of country road. So uh, bringing the farm to the city in so many ways 
both as they do at Barnyard Discoveries as you do, is is a way that people can get that connection, which is otherwise missing. It's, it's less available to them than it was in years past. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, fewer fingers, fewer roots from uh, the farm extending into the community than there ever were. And you definitely see the impact of that. And I'm, I'm sure Ron has some great stories he would tell about kids not knowing the first thing about agriculture, about how farming is actually done and, and that his exhibit really opens their eyes. Adults too. Yeah. Well, we've had him on before and I'm going to get him back again sometime, sometime soon. So Aaron, I really appreciate what you're doing. It's nice to talk to you and really good to hear about the progress that's happening. And, uh, and one more one more time for those folks that just want to be sure that they they either want to inquire how they may be able to get started themselves or maybe even search a herd out that they see a need to be able to get goats or sheep. Remind them one more time how they can connect with you. You bet. Uh, GoatsOnTheGo.com. You'll find everything you need there. And if you want to listen to Farm Dog, you can find that podcast on any podcast app or at FarmDogPodcast.com. Aaron Steele, thanks for being on Farm to Table Talk. It's my pleasure, Roger. Thanks for the invitation. You've been listening to Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. 